Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap. Once again, it's your shorthand guide to the week's TV news stories, brought to you by the Broadcast Editorial Team. I'm senior reporter Max Goldbart, and this week I'm joined by Broadcast Intelligence lead analyst Jonathan Broughton and our insights editor Jesse Whittock to discuss the impact of Rishi Sunak's summer budget on the TV sector. Rishi served us up a tasty meal, Mondays to Wednesdays, maximum saving £10. But are his plans to close the furlough scheme and get young people back into work wide of the mark when it comes to the unique nature of the TV industry? We've got all the latest analysis on the fallout impacting both broadcasters and producers, plus the ever-present and ever-popular What We've Been Watching on this week's Broadcast News Wrap. So we have Jonathan Broughton of Broadcast Intelligence, and it's great to welcome back Jesse Whittock, our Insight Editor. Jonathan, how are you? It's been a little while. I'm great. I'm great. It's, uh, it's good to be back on what some are calling the world's greatest podcast. And who would that be? Who, who's been calling us the world's greatest? I mean, me just then. That's, yeah. that's it. <laughs> it's got to start somewhere. It's good to scoop the room that sort it. of accolade so early on in the pod. this week we're going to be talking about the budget rishi sunak unveiled a rare mini budget yesterday quite rare for it to be delivered over the summer and the repercussions for the tv sector could be relatively large so the budget was led by a job retention bonus uh, and this is a way to kind of stave off the worst impacts of the of the closure of the furlough scheme so any company that has furloughed uh, a member of staff will be given a thousand pounds when they welcome that staff member back onto their books. So we've got that. There's also um, a kickstart scheme for young workers. So 16 to 25 year olds will have their jobs funded for six months uh, as Rishi Sunak bids to kick the economy going again for young people really. It's been shown across the board that young people are going to be disproportionately impacted by by the economic ravages of of COVID nineteen, um, and there were various various other announcements related to to sectors that are, are less related to broadcasting. And obviously, we'll all be going for dinner from a Monday to a Wednesday as long as we as long as we stick to our ten pound limit. So that's all that's all very exciting. Jonathan, what did you make of the budget and its repercussions for the indie sector? Yeah, I have to say, the, at first read, um, there's, a, there's a lot of really impressive figures in there. Um, but it left me a little bit uncertain around, you know, whether it actually followed through enough to help media especially. There were some terms in there that I was a little bit confused about where they applied and whether they were quite helpful. So I did some thinking, um, as I want to do. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and I sort of divided... Um, I, I finally worked out why I'm not I'm not sold on this as a plan, uh, and I think it's because um, effectively a lot of the thinking behind um, certainly the the loans part of the scheme seems to be designed from a big business mentality uh, and not from an understanding of uh, SMEs the problems they face. And really specifically on this, I think it's because big businesses are dealing with cash flow and they can tank risk whereas small businesses although yes they have cash flow issues they simply can't deal with risk 
in the same way. And, and what I mean by that is a large business will be protecting shareholders, they'll be protecting profit margins. Uh, but if push comes to shove, they can go back in most cases to creditors and our big broadcasters can do the same and effectively ask for a bailout. They can tap into revolving credit facilities, which uh, you know, in layman's terms are secured loans from creditors. So uh, very flexible and offer very, very good terms from people who want to support the business in general. SMEs, on the other hand, are effectively being given a small amount of cash, you know, two to 50,000 pounds, um, which will tie them over for a couple of months at most while they make cash payments on, you know, operational expenses that they need to keep the business going. It doesn't really cover salaries long term. It just about covers salaries in redundancy periods. So that's the kind of um, bailout that they've been given. So what in all this asks of SMEs, of which, you know, of course, we know media is, is so heavily reliant on, especially on the production side, it effectively asks them uh, to guess at the state of our economy in roughly six months time. The money's nice. It's certainly, you know, it's not unhelpful. Um, but it doesn't mitigate the uncertainty. I loved the uh, the idea of paying uh, young people's wages, you know, out to the future. I think that's that's a really really good idea, and I certainly would have liked to seen something a bit more like that for SMEs, especially so businesses with less than a hundred people. Take away the uncertainty, perhaps tying you know, loans or grants back to the profits of those businesses. So if they do effectively perform extremely well, the government can recoup that. So it's not a complete loss. It's just a, a short-term loan. But tying the loan to profits means, again, that uncertainty uh, would have been mitigated. So fundamentally, my problem was big businesses can tank uh, uncertainty you know, our chancellor has come through hedge funds, uh, Goldman Sachs, investment banks, understands big business very well. But I felt that there wasn't recognition that the choice that a lot of business leaders are making right now is I either get this wrong and keep too many staff on and lose my entire business, or I get this wrong mm. and fire too many staff and I take an extra year to recover. You know, most sensible business owners will take an extra year to recover. It's mm. a responsible thing to do for their own staff. So I would have liked recognition of that. And I, I'm afraid I, I didn't really see that understanding flowing from the top. Mm. Yeah, well, I think when, when you think about the TV sector, we did a, a sort of COVID-19 temperature take quite recently, a survey of 70-odd of production companies. And it's quite damning and very worrying that many companies can't even afford to keep staff furloughed in August. And the only thing, the only payment that a company needs to make in August towards that scheme is a national insurance payment. And in September, that moves to 10% and then doubles to 20%. And the fact that Indies were already talking about, about layoffs and are worried about the position they're in, when all you have to do is, is, is fund a handful of staff's uh, national insurance contribution is 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 obviously quite worrying, um, and the TV sector again is quite unique, isn't it? And 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 uh, I think another reason why, unfortunately, this young employee kickstart scheme wouldn't work so well for the TV sector is that our staffing levels are so low and our freelancer levels are, are so high. I, I look at a lot of this stuff through the through the prism of freelancers because because I've been doing so much work on it. Most small indies 
or even some quite, you know, medium-sized or larger, well-established indies hire five, six people. Big drama indies have five or six employees on their books. So I don't think, I can't see the TV sector hugely dipping into something like a young person's Kickstarter scheme when ultimately they, they might not be particularly encouraged to create those roles in the first place. Well, I think even beyond that, Max, if you look at the makeup of a TV company, whether that be a small indie, whether that be a broadcaster or any sort of a large media organization, any media organization in general, there are very few 16 to 25 year olds working within those businesses at all in any level, whether you're talking about receptionists, whether you're talking about APs, whether you're talking about, you know, more senior executives, you don't tend to see 16 to 25 year olds working in telly. It's a kind of, you could probably say it's a sort of late twenties plus industry, really, mm. you know, that you can go through training schemes and there are, and that we do, you know, we that broadcast, we have our hot shots initiative, which we run every year where we try to sh- uh, shine the spotlight on younger uh, people and there are very few of those who are 22 23 uh, almost certainly no teenagers are put forward for that for example and so unfortunately the help that the government have supplied through this 16 to 25 scheme on the face of it certainly my, my read is that it won't help television at all in those senses and the, the worry there then is what happens to to training schemes and people moving through coming through the sort of 25 26 year olds like do you hire someone who's relatively green but won't qualify for any support or do you go for someone who's you know a bit more experienced might cost a bit more but you know that your project's going to run smoother so it i don't think that's very helpful unfortunately for for the tv sector and uh, and into and I, I suppose for a lot of independent production companies the furlough element of the um, mini budget is going to pose a lot of questions. Do you bring people back from furlough and get your your thousand pounds and and try and kickstart your business that way, or do you, as many people have been uh, talking about from various sectors and, and across the country, you know, would it have been better just to extend the furlough scheme and allow people a little bit more breathing space? Because ultimately in October, if the TV industry isn't operating the way it needs to be, it's going to be a really dark time, right? Because it's just, there won't be any support and it will be everyone for themselves. And uh, that's not a great place for, for the business to be. But obviously at the moment, there's, there's no there's no clear indication of, of how things are going to shake out, bar it not looking great. Mm. Yeah, I think with, with furlough, I, I expected that maybe TV companies would, would be using the scheme a little bit less than than your average just because of the aforementioned uh, low staffing levels. Uh, but again, our survey showed that around two thirds uh, were, were taking advantage of it uh, in some respect. I think some of that will have changed a little bit, like the soaps, for example, the the big super indies that, that run the soaps did quite a lot of furloughing and now the soaps are back into production. So presumably that's changed a little bit but yeah i think i think august and and september the you know cr- crunch time is arriving potentially for for a lot of these smaller businesses and i think uh, a lot of indies are, are talking uh, about the or, or are certainly really concerned about the potential for a second spike and that's obviously not something that is contained within the tv industry but a second spike and a second production lockdown mm. would be disastrous for a lot of companies i mean a lot 
there's people we're speaking to at the moment are talking about sort of tentatively getting crews back and working out ways to make their shows and going back into precincts like hospitals and and prisons and those sorts of places where the distancing is is more difficult than than in other ways if there is a second spike in september october that's going to completely shut that down and then even big sort of relatively well equipped independent production companies have significant cash flow problems coming their way yeah yeah i mean i i can't possibly predict if there's a second spike as bad as as the one that we've just had, I don't know if, you know, the furlough scheme just naturally gets extended until the end of the, of the year and everything just gets put off a little bit further. But you, you certainly worry that, that many companies just wouldn't, the, the overheads associated with simply running a small company wouldn't be able to continue stretching re- regardless of, of the existence of furlough. Jo- Jonathan, was, was there anything else that, that you thought the government could have enacted that might, might have made a real difference in the broadcasting sector? Yeah, so so going back to your furlough point, I think I think one of the the key things in that is is exactly what you've been highlighting, is again, and I keep banging on about this. It's it's the uncertainty. There could be a second wave. Um, there might not be a second wave. But right now, what we're asking businesses to do is put their future on the line to help you know a more general UK economy. And taking a personal risk on to help society is surely something our, our government should be helping out with. So again, I know I've mentioned this before, but these schemes should be much clearer. Uh, they should be given with much, much more warning. I'd like to see, you know, right now, government guidance about a second wave. Because, you know, like, like we say, we know that production is so, you know, debt laden and it's a burden on the production companies themselves to find, to find creditors and, and funding for the programs they're making if they get stuck into this and suddenly a second wave appears, they will frankly, you know, will, will lose half the industry. And that's, that's, I don't think that's, um, you know, being, you know, over, over egging it. So I'd like to see the government step in and create, um, you know, th- there are schemes which are similar to this. So there's, there's the, there's the EU funds for, you know, companies which are, are doing business on duress who are directly trying to fund themselves with, the idea that a second wave or further consequences could come out it costs money to make money um so naturally i think our government should step in and again take some of that risk bankroll it for the sake of the nation's Mm. economy what about the broadcasters jonathan i thought i thought we might take this opportunity to just just quickly uh examine the state of play uh, BBC, ITV, and C4, maybe. I mean, we 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 talked a little bit a few weeks ago about you know plummeting ad revenues and and the difficulties uh, that particularly Channel Four was finding itself in. Are we seeing a little bit of a comeback from the broadcasters? What's the state of play? Yeah, we we we, we did chat a little bit about it. I guess this is a, a time to highlight the sunny lining of media, in which that you know throughout this entire process. The effective source of all income in media, the consumer consuming, is higher than ever. So media is not being affected in the same way that, say, retailers. The demand is absolutely there. And the only problems facing it are, you know, the fact that advertising is linked to general economic conditions rather than media specific. So we're being, you know, we're losing money because of um, sort of general economic downturns. 
what that means is as soon as demand for other sectors starts increasing, then of course, advertising will return. So although there are a whole range of, of schemes, you mentioned uh, £10 for, for, for eating out, that will in fact have an effect on advertising for media, of course, as various companies start bidding for attention on that. I would also recommend anyone who is, is, is listening to this podcast, TV advertising has never been cheaper and has never been so accessible by so many people. So frankly, if you're thinking about taking a dip into advertising right now, it is perhaps the, the best return on investment, if, if suitable for your product, of course, um, that it has ever been and ever will be so. So uh, I am on commission for that, of course. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's also true. So um, effectively, what I'm saying is that at the top line of, of our giant pyramid of, of cash flowing into the, uh, you know, the, the media value chain most of it's intact pay tv still working uh, d2c of course is through the roof and advertising is recovering i've done some modeling around this you know roughly by the end of the year by december on a month-by-month basis i'm expecting to see uh, advertising so the money flowing to the broadcasters returning to sort of 90 percent of what it was the year before i think the entirety of 2021 will be probably about 10 percent down so nothing that they can't tank effectively. This leaves them with a couple of options. They can either take costs uh, on themselves, effectively spending the same amount as they did the year before in order to preserve viewership, especially where it comes to competing with players who are not faced with downturns in advertising, or they can cut costs and choose to preserve the value of, of, of that company. And if we take Channel 4 as an example, if they were to spend as they did in 2019, next year, they would roughly over 2020 and 21 end up losing around a hundred million pounds for the, for the two year period. It sounds like a lot of money. It's not. Channel 4 has instant cash reserves of something like 150 million. So the good news is here is that yes, if you're a producer and you're having conversations where, you know, the broadcasters are perhaps reticent to start producing, it's not because they can't afford it and, they probably will be going back to spending to 2019 levels as soon as there's some sort of feeling of guarantee around ability to actually complete on, on programming. Um, so there doesn't seem to be a permanent long-term damage to the media industry yet. The advertising downturn is transient, and I would expect most of it to have sort of evaporated. It will be returning to something more like normal uh, by the end of the year. So perhaps... Christmas, we'll see a bit of a, a bonanza of cash flowing back into broadcasters and some more familiar deep pockets starting to spend as they were previously. Some positive cash. news, Jonathan. I thought cash so. bonanzas. It's been a while <laughs> since anybody has uttered two such words. Jesse, think things are feeling a little bit more back to normal, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Um, one thing we've noticed recently, um, you know, we we track a lot of the program announcements and commissions and certainly there seem to be more of them than there were till you know two months ago which might be obvious on the face of it but equally it's good to see that the kind of commissioning appetites seem to be returning they seem to be there seems to be more volume orders being which is you know obviously a really good thing in terms of, of company cash flow so yeah you know there's there's there are signs that things are getting back to what they're what they need to be it'll be interesting to see how some of these kind of bigger productions that we you know that that deliver ratings towards the end of the year which tend to go into production around now 
uh, what happens with them. So we're talking about the, you know, the X factor and voice and things like that, how those shows are, are produced and, and whether they can sort of hold up the six, seven, eight, nine million that they will do week in, week out on a Saturday. Um, but yeah, all in all, you know, um, in a, in a quite a, a grim period for telly, it's starting to feel like something like normality. Moving on to some people's favourite segment, clearly. It's what we've been watching. Jonathan, you've been binging Netflix once again. I have, I have. I've been uh, delving into the past and I have been catching up on seasons one and two of uh, of The Sinner. Um, I think one of the most interesting things about it is um, clearly Bill Pullman is being paid by the word um, and as season two has progressed, he, he is averaging uh, less than 30 words per episode, which is, which is fascinating. But no, it's, it's really interesting to see the, the development of the character in that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a man who is uh, at the top of his game uh, as, a, as a detective, but in terms of the, uh, how he copes with the rest of his life, uh, completely inadequate. And it's, it's something really, really enjoyable. There's some you know, nice, nice story arc going on. A little bit of carryover from the uh, the first series. Some nice twists. Some psychopathic hippies, which was, you know, surprising to to say the least. But yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly well written, well acted show, uh, and nice to see Bill Pullman back and doing some uh, stuff on the small screen. Excellent, psychopathic hippies. Sounds <laughs> like uh... <laughs> another two words you don't necessarily. <laughs> Here together. If you were to get a cash bonanza from a psychopathic hippie, then then you're uh, <laughs> then you're hitting the jackpot. I've also been uh, on Netflix. We do we do watch the PSBs sometimes. I've been watching Trial by Media, which is a, a really interesting documentary series looking at big US trials that were heavily impacted by the journalism around them. And the first episode is called Talk Show Murder, uh, and it got me thinking a lot about duty of care stuff. It's a story that I'd never heard of before, but covered in really, really close detail. There was a, a guy called Jonathan Schmitz went on to the Jenny Jones show in the, I think this was like the early 90s. And he went on to a segment whereby somebody else w- would reveal their secret crush. And a guy revealed his secret crush on this guy, Jonathan Schmidt. Uh, they were childhood friends. Uh, and four days later, Jonathan Schmitz killed him. Uh, And then it ended up, so so Warner Media ended up being taken to civil court for duty of care dereliction, basically, uh, and allowing allowing this person to be humiliated on national television, which in turn turned him to killing his friend. But it's a a super interesting documentary and was was a story that I wasn't familiar with. That's fascinating. I hadn't heard of that either. No. I'll, I'll definitely give that a go. No, give it a watch. Up the Netflix. Jesse, well, how about yourself? Um, so I've mainly been, well, so I downloaded the Now TV package, which they were offering basically to, so you could get all of the sports, particularly the football, for a month on a, on a reduced fee, which is a really smart thing to do. And my wife, at first, she was quite pleased to see some live sport in the house. That lasted for a couple of days. And now the sight of a green pitch is is causing friction in the house. So I'm trying to sort of ration the amount of, of football I'm watching. I've actually had the England cricket return 
um, playing in the background um, as I've been working today. I'm glad I haven't really been focusing on it because England have been absolutely <laughs> terrible. Um, but uh, yeah, so sport's been sort of my, my order of the day, uh, along with just re-watching some old episodes of Rick and Morty, who's I'm sure don't need any introduction great show on netflix but was originally from uh one of the u.s cable networks uh so yeah that's been me nice some quality lockdown viewing all around uh well it's been it's been great to have the two of you on the pod sharing thoughts on a budget uh and we will be back soon thank you for listening to the broadcast news wrap i'm senior reporter max goldbart and you've been listening to Broadcast Intelligence lead analyst Jonathan Broughton and Insight editor Jesse Whittock, while the pod's editor was John Elms. You can check out past episodes of the pod on Spotify and iTunes or on the website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk.